Well, it's so good to see you today. If I've not met you yet, my name is Journey and I'm the pastor here. And welcome to week four of our Never Settle series where we are unpacking where God is leading us over the next two years to see 250 people's lives changed by Jesus. And I love this story. I love this video of Matt. <clears throat> it's really cool for me. I, I had the, the chance to uh, be one of Matt's youth pastors. I knew Matt when he was a seventh grader. Uh, and he was, uh, he would bring uh, a keychain with about 15 different USB, uh, plugs on it. And he would, he would borrow music from the church. And, uh, uh, it's just been awesome. It's been cool to me to watch how Matt has grown from being, um, a really sharp, um, cool young man into being the godly man that he is today. And Matt, I love you, man. I'm proud of you. Matt leads our uh, production team. Uh, Matt's one of the most servant-hearted people. Yeah, you can give it up for that. <laughs> Matt's, uh, I'll be honest with you, that Matt's one of the people that, that um, can convicts me that I'm not being a good enough Christian when I watch how he serves people. Um, yesterday, you could have found him being a barista at, for a group of ladies that were attending a women's conference in our office. <clears throat> and uh, yeah. And uh, anyway, Matt, I love you. And I love what Matt's talking about. And if he, he, he's right. If you're new, if you're not connected, man, we want to help you. Um, come talk to us. We want to help you know what your next steps are. Um, we believe a church is not something that, that you attend. It's not an event that you attend, but it's a family that you belong to. And we want to be part of your family if you want to be a part of ours. Um, listen, here's what we've learned so far. We've unpacked two of our four initiatives for this Never Settle campaign. If you're new with us, we are, uh, we're in a six-week series where we're really talking vision. Where's God taking us next? And we've unpacked two things so far. Number one, we've, we've unpacked that, that we're going to equip every person at Discover Church with practical tools for personal evangelism. Um, and we've also learned, we talked about this last week, that we're going to help bring a solution and address the problem of homelessness in the Northland by partnering with the Turning Point Ministries to provide immediate overnight housing for homeless women and families. And so these are just two of the four initiatives that God is leading us into. And as we've been going through it, one of the things that's been critical for us to grab a hold of is that what we're talking about is not just a vision for an organization. What we're talking about is an invitation that God is extending to individuals, to people. God's inviting us to consider what would it look like if we were to choose to be a never settled believer. And here's the reason why this is so important, that we don't just look at the, the stuff that the organization of the church is doing, but that we see the invitation that God is inviting us into individually. It's because of this, because the church will always move at the speed of obedience. Whatever it is that God puts in front of a church to do, their ability to be able to see that, how fast they can get there and how far a church can go will always, always, always be determined by the obedience of the individuals who call that church home. And so as we consider what God is calling us to do as a church family to see 250 people's lives change, God is challenging us to be a never settle believer. What does a never settle believer? What does a never settle believer do? Well, we've learned some things. We've learned that a never settle believer doesn't settle for comfort and convenience, knowing that ultimately it's only gonna lead us out of the movement of Jesus, the ongoing motion of, of, of the movement Jesus continued 2,000 years ago. And, and, and when we begin to settle for comfort and complacency, then we move out of the movement and we begin to get stagnant like a monument and eventually we become stale and old news like a museum. 
We've learned that an ever subtle believer has the faith of a mustard seed and uh, seeks to consistently and persistently keep growing. We don't, we don't allow ourselves to come to thresholds where we just go, God, I don't want to grow anymore. Instead, like a mustard seed we talked about in week one, we, we just continue to show up and we continue to grow where God is leading us to grow. We've also learned that a never said a believer shows and shares their faith to the people who are close to us, but far from God. And we've learned that, that we follow Jesus's example of compassion by actively seeking how we can care for the lost, the least, and the left behind. Now listen, next week, what's gonna happen is, is I'm gonna share the third and the fourth initiatives. And if you've read ahead in the guidebook, I know that there's lots of questions about what that is. So come back next week and we're gonna unpack the third and fourth initiative. But today what I wanna do, if my iPad will cooperate with me and stop messing up, uh, today what I wanna do is I wanna unpack the final element of what I believe God is inviting us to consider when it comes to being a never settled believer. And I've titled today's message, Put It in Play put it in play. When we read the scriptures, we see that Jesus uses lots of things to help illustrate what his kingdom is like. There's lots of things that he talks about in our lives where he comes in and tries to help rearrange some of the things in our lives. And one of the most common elements that Jesus teaches on is money. And he tells us why in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, what he's saying is, is where your money goes says a lot about where your heart is. And because Jesus loves us, because he cares about the condition of our heart, then what he does is he will regularly talk about our finances. He will regularly use money as an example because it's something that we can all connect to. It's something that we can all relate to. And it is one of the primary indicators of the overall health of our soul. So Jesus brings these things into being. Now, I want to establish and say this just kind of from the beginning that, that uh, you know, if you come into church today and this is your first time, uh, well, congratulations. I'm sorry. I know that churches have a reputation uh, that they, all they do is talk about money. I know that there is a thought that you show up to church and people leave, go, they just want my money. Um, and, and I just want to tell you today, we don't talk about money a whole lot here at Discover Church. Um, but because I love you and because I, I care about you and God's called me as a pastor to care about your soul, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna not talk about it either. And so what I want you to see today is that there is a, there is a truth that's established in scripture and it's consistent and it applies to a whole lot of things in our life. But I believe it's, it, it is, it is incredibly clear and incredibly true when it comes to us and our money. And it's this, that God doesn't want something from us he wants something for us. Jesus did not come to die on the cross so that God could expect perfection from us. God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that he could give perfection to us. And that principle applies to every area of our life when God brings something up in his word that confronts something that is true in our lives that doesn't measure up and match up with the great things that God wants for us. God brings these things up so that we can understand he's not trying to take from us. He's not a cosmic killjoy. He, he's not wanting to, to, to take things from us. He's wanting to give something to us, which is why God doesn't want something from us. He wants something for us. 
And it's true when it comes to the conversation about money. In fact, I would encourage you, if you are here today and you're not winning with your finances, you're not winning with your money, can I just tell you, God has a lot of really smart things to say about money. And if you wanted to learn how to win with money, I would encourage you to dive into God's word. Two years ago, I I preached a series of messages called Margin. And in that series, I spent two weeks talking about some of God's principles in his word about how we can win with money. So I would encourage you, go back and check those out so that you can learn, so that you can grow and that you can begin to win with your money. And so what I wanna do today is I wanna show you three specific things that I believe that God wants for you in terms of your money. You can find these in Luke chapter 16. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up or you can turn them on, whichever way you roll when it comes to that. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is going to do something interesting here. He's going to bring a parable, teach a parable, which is a, which is a story that illustrates a spiritual truth. And he's going to do something pretty uncommon for Jesus, that he's going to talk about something that is unjust in order to help illustrate a truth that he wants us to learn in our lives. And we pick it up in Luke chapter 16. If you're with me, let me hear you say, amen. He says this, he said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man who had a steward and occasion was brought to him that this man was wasting his goods. So he called him and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship for you can no longer be a steward. Now I have to tell you this, that, that this is something that I've heard a lot of preachers talk about. When I was growing up in church, I used to hear the preacher talk about all the time that God wants us to be a steward. In fact, this is the first thing I want you to see that God wants for you today is he wants for you to be a steward. And as a kid, I used to wonder who the heck is steward and why is he so great? We're not talking about Stuart, okay? Any mad TV fans from back in the day? Look what I can do, right? It's not that, all right? But, but what God wants for us is to be a steward. What is a steward? Well, it's, it's an idea that's very countercultural. It's an idea that's very counterintuitive to um, the way that God works, the way, the, or the, I'm sorry, very counterintuitive to the way that the world works. But what God teaches, not just here, but in multiple places throughout scripture, is he wants us to be stewards or practicers or practitioners of something called stewardship. In order for us to really understand what that means, we need to understand what a steward is. A steward is a trusted servant who's given authority over their master's resources, but they have no ownership claim over any of it. In modern times, we might refer to a steward as a CFO. We might refer to a steward as a comptroller. We might refer to a steward as a business administrator or a, or, or a financial advisor or, or something like that. Um, so, so it's a concept that we're familiar with, but what Jesus wants us to understand is that this isn't just a job that somebody has. It's a principle that God wants us to live by. And what we need to understand about stewards is that the, the amount a steward is entrusted with is determined by two things. Number one, uh, the amount of riches that their master has. And number two, the amount of trust their master has in them. If you are a steward and you serve a master with more riches, then you will be entrusted with more, assuming that your master can trust you with what you've been given. And flip that on the situation if your master has fewer resources. And here's the element that Jesus followers often struggle with. It's the element of stewardship that that gets talked about sometimes, but doesn't often get practiced. And it's the idea that as a follower of Jesus, there is nothing you have that you have that you can own 
because there's nothing you have that you have earned. Now I can hear the bristling because somebody's saying, oh, I know that's ain't right. You don't know how many hours I worked last week. I was putting it in overtime, 50, 60, 80 hours a week. Don't you come at my house, tell me what I do and do not earn. Okay, relax for a second. Because I believe what God wants us to understand is the truth that's beneath this idea that there's nothing we have that we own because there's nothing we have that we've earned because everything that we have has been given by God. You say, I don't know that I believe that. Okay, let me ask you a couple of questions. As you think about the things that you have, the things that you own, the things that you think that you've earned, your assets, your stuff. Let me ask you this question. Who created you? Who gave you the wherewithal and the intellect and the intelligence and the the capacity to be able to do the job that you do? Who puts breath in your lungs? Who enables you to think? Who allows you to move? You see, scripture says, in Psalm 24, one, that the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. You see, what God needs for us, what God wants for us to understand today and what you need to understand today is that everything on this blue planet belongs to God. That's part of the rights conferred when you imagined it, designed it, and created it by simply speaking it. So you, your bank account, your house, your car, your assets, your children, they all belong to the Lord. And James tells us that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. And anything in your life that you would say is good, it was gifted to you. Now, the way I see it, you have one of two responses. The first response is you could say, well, I don't really like that very much. I don't like the way that, I don't like that thinking. It seems kind of unfair to me. I worked hard, paid my dues, You can continue to have that thinking. It's not gonna change anything. But you can continue to think that. Or you can be encouraged by what I talked about just a second ago when I said that how much a steward is entrusted to is determined by the riches of their master and by how much their master trusts them. And so you can can choose to change that mindset and go, man, if I am a follower of Jesus, I serve the master who has riches beyond anybody. Riches beyond compare. And he has given me some instructions so that I don't have to be left in the dark about how to know whether or not God can trust me. He's given me some rules, some, some, some principles to follow. And if I would follow those rules, I would prove myself trustworthy and therefore position myself that the next time God's looking for somebody to pour some blessings upon, that he could look down at me and find me faithful and say, yeah, I can trust you with more because you have been trustworthy with less. 
God wants for us to be stewards. The second thing God wants for us is God wants for us to be shrewd with our resources. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you didn't know that God looks at you and says, I really wish you'd be a little bit more shrewd with your stuff. Oh, no, preacher, man, that's not right. God told me to be loving and kind and gracious and generous and compassionate. He didn't tell me to be shrewd. Yes, he did. Verse two. So he called them and said, so this is the master calling his servant, his steward. And he says, what is this I hear about you? Give an account for your stewardship, for you can no longer be a steward. Then the steward said within himself, what am I going to do? For my master is taking my job from me. I don't have working man's hands. I cannot dig. I am frail. And I am ashamed to beg. I'm too proud to beg. So what does he do? He comes up with a game plan. Verses four through eight tells us what he does. He goes to some of his master's debtors and he negotiates on his master's behalf for those debtors to pay back a smaller portion of what they're owed. And as he does this, he demonstrates remarkable shrewdness. And in so doing, he brings a remarkable return on investment. Not a return on investment that necessarily benefits his master, but a return on investment that necessarily benefits him. Let me tell you how. In two ways. Number one, anything that is owed to his master that the steward does not make sure gets paid, it is the steward who is responsible to pay back that debt. So when he goes to his master's debtors and says, listen, man, this is how much you owe. I'll tell you what, I'll knock 60% off that price. Do I have a buyer? Thank you. Amen. All right, here we go. And how about you? 80%, got eight cents on, eight, eight, 80 cents on the dollar. How's about it? Good. Perfect. Awesome. Yes. That's less I have to pay. You see, he's creating a return on investment of his work. But the second thing that does this, um, that he does in creating a return on investment is he's now kind of buying some favors. Because if his master does indeed fire him, he now has some people with resources who owe him a solid. So if my master fires me, I know exactly who I'm fitting to go to to find a job. I'm gonna go to those dudes that I worked out to their benefit. Hey, I scratch your back. I'm calling that favor. It's time for you to scratch mine. His master is incredibly impressed by this. And so in verse eight, it says, so the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. Now he recognizes that what he did was unjust, but he can't help but be impressed at how shrewd this steward was in doing this unjust thing. And what Jesus does at this moment now is he ends the parable and he pivots and he begins to provide the teaching. And this is what he says at the end of verse eight. For the sons of this world, basically the unjust people, the people who don't love me, the people who aren't following me, the people of this world, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. The people of this world are more shrewd with their resources and how they navigate what they have, what they possess than the children of God are. 
And then he brings to the climax, the teaching point of this parable in verse nine. And I gotta be honest, this verse is really confusing. It took me a lot of time of, of, of seeking and praying and unpacking what this means because it seems weird what Jesus is saying, but I believe God's provided some clarity. I wanna help you with it because he says this in verse nine. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. Now, perhaps you're probably just a lot smarter and more spiritual than I am, and you were able to read that and go, oh, yes, Lord, amen, I got it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, mm, yes. But if you're like me, a little slow on, on the draw, allow me to help shorten the learning cycle because I spent some time learning this week. Let me help you see what Jesus is saying. This is what he's saying. He said, I say to you, make friends for yourself by unrighteous mammon. See, what did this unjust steward do? He, he did something unjust to buy relationships. He did something that was unjust, but very shrewd to create a return on investment that benefited him, but it didn't really benefit the master because one way or the other, the master was gonna get what he was owed. Jesus is saying, that you, as the children of light, you need to also be shrewd with your resources, not so that you can buy relationships or you can buy favors or so that you can get some sort of return on investment in this world. And it's not wrong to deal shrewdly. It's not wrong to get a return on your investment. That's wise. But Jesus is taking it to a whole nother level and saying, listen, you need to not think about the return on investment from a physical sense if you are a child of God. If you are a child of God, you need to think about a return on investment from an eternal sense. And if you would follow and learn from the shrewd practices of putting what you have into play for kingdom work, instead of having it and holding it and hoarding it, then your eternal return on investment will not necessarily just be friends that you buy here, but they will be relationships that you will have in heaven. Notice it says that they, who is they? It's the world, that they may receive you into an everlasting home. What is an everlasting home? It's heaven. Here's what God is telling us, the third thing that God wants for us. God wants for us to experience the joy of others' salvation. This is the ultimate ROI. This is an eternal return on investment. And when you and I take the things that God has given us, when that God has trusted us with, and when we will put them in play for gospel advancing kingdom works, then what we'll see is that God wants for us to be stewards and recognizing it was never mine to begin with. God, it's all yours. God wants for us to deal shrewdly, wisely, strategically to create the greatest return on investment, but not just a physical return on investment, but an eternal return on investment in the souls of people whom you will meet when you get to heaven. You see, what I believe that God is trying to convey to us is that a never settled believer puts their resources into play to be used by God to change people's lives. And can I tell you, I've experienced this in my, in my life. At the moments that God has set before me to take what, 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 whatever it is that I have and that I would be willing to take steps of faith and trust more of what I have back into God's hands so that God can use it to reach more people. 
can I tell you, I have experienced incredible joy. I know when I was in college, I didn't have a lot of money. I was going through a particularly hard season where my, my dad and my stepmom were getting divorced and I had a, a long drive every day as I went to school and, and went to work and I listened to Caleb all the time. And, uh, you know, the, the thing I never liked about Caleb is that they say it's commercial free, but they still have commercials. Caleb, by the way, if you don't know, is a Christian radio station. And, uh, and it seems like um, they do two pledgeathons, one in the spring, one in the fall, and each one lasts about six months. <laughs> I mean, am I the only one? And I was driving, I can't tell how many times, I remember, if you call now, we've got a matching donor, we'll help you out. We're gonna match it up to $100,000. You get 5,000 people call right now for $40. It's gonna be awesome. Most of the time, I just change the channel. Sports radio, let's go. But there's one particular time God said, hey, I want, you've been blessed by this. I want you to bless somebody else. I didn't have any money. I said, okay, Lord, I'll do $40 a month. Can I tell you, bless me? Because I knew that people were being encouraged that were going through a hard time like I was. I've been a part of churches where they've done different initiatives. One time uh, I was a part of a church where they were building a children's wing uh, added to their church. And I, don't, I, don't, I wasn't even married yet. Church is what we're doing. We're gonna try to reach kids and, and reach the next generation and all this stuff. I, I didn't have a lot of money because again, I wasn't even married yet. And I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm in. I'm a part of this church. I'm, a, I'm gonna do it. I don't even have kids, but come on. Can I tell you when I had kids and I started checking my kids into the kids wing back there, can I tell you that God brought it back full circle for me, that I was able to invest in something that did not benefit me at the time, but absolutely blessed somebody that I loved? And every single time that I've done this, God has God, has, he's blessed me. He's brought joy into my life. And I can say with confidence based on this passage in Luke chapter 16, that there's gonna be people that I don't know that when I get to heaven are gonna know who I am and they're gonna say thank you. And every time you invest something into kingdom work and someone's life is changed as a result of that, then there's gonna be people on your account, on your tab, when you get to heaven, they're gonna come up to you and go, oh, Larry, what's going on? You're gonna be like, man, I don't know who you are. But this is heaven, so I'm assuming it's a good thing. How you doing, brother? Because that's what we do in church. I don't know your name. What's going on, brother? How you doing? Sister, how you doing? Yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. This is what God wants for you. And I believe what Jesus is trying to teach is that dollars invested in kingdom work impacts destinies. It's because of what God wants for you. It's because of what God wants for the people in our community that God's put a vision in our heart to reach. It's because of that that I'm not, I don't shy away from talking about finances, even though sometimes it's a little uncomfortable. Because it's not about me. It's not about Discover Church. It's about you and it's about the people that God wants to reach through you so that you can get to know them when you get to heaven. So what are our goals in this Never settle campaign. We've got two. Number one, our first goal is 100% engagement. Our second goal is $3 million. We believe God's given us $3 million worth of work to do over the next two years. And we've unpacked that in the guidebook. You can read about that. Go back to week one. I don't have time to re-preach all of that. 
But can I just tell you something? When you look at these goals, here's what I'm concerned. I'm concerned that some of you who are a little cynical like I am will look at that and go, oh, I see what that preacher did there. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see what you did there, preacher. That was good. A little smoke and mirrors. You're going to talk about goal number one so that you don't think that you're really worried about goal number two. It kind of it kind of eases the blow just a little bit. Can I just tell you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I am exponentially less concerned about goal number two than I am concerned about goal number one. Let me tell you why. Because in my life personally and in my positions of leading the church, I have learned that God does something through the process of vision and that there's a sequence to things, that God always provides vision through prayer and confirmation of wise counsel. That's the first thing that God does. And then the second thing that God does is that God will then supply the provision through his people responding in obedience. And I just need you to understand this today, that that these vision things, when I talk about things and I'm bringing things to the table, it's so important that you understand that I am not the Wizard of Oz pulling levers and making decrees. Anytime I'm bringing vision like this to the church, I want you to understand there's a process to it. You see, about a year ago, God began to plant a vision in me that I wasn't sure what it was. And I spent several months in prayer and discussion and, and spending time in the word trying to wrestle through it. And as I would get some clarity, I would, I would bounce things off of Jess who, um, you know, serves as a really good sounding board of saying, you crazy, that's stupid, stop doing that. And other times go, hey, that sounds, that's, yeah, that sounds good. I've got a couple pastor mentor friends of mine who've got a combined 60 years of ministry experience leading churches both small and super huge where I got some of their feedback. They asked some questions, they challenged some things and I, I took that and I, I brought it back to the Lord in prayer and I spent some time in prayer. Okay, God, I'm trying to, I'm trying to carve this down. I, I don't want anything in this to be me. I wanna, I wanna eliminate all of the things so that all that's left is what you want. And after spending some more time in prayer, I brought it to our staff and spent some time talking to them and, and they asked some questions, they challenged some things and, and I brought it to our board, which, which by the way, I realized that, that maybe some of y'all don't know who our board of trustees are, so I'd like to introduce them to you. I've got pictures for you on the screen. Uh, on the left, let's see, is that my left? Yeah, on your left is Kendall Hale. He's the, he's the newest member of the board. He was voted in just a month ago. He's the head tennis coach at UMKC. In the middle is Brian Pruitt. Brian Pruitt is OG. OG. Brian came to me the Sunday at Abundant Life, which is where I came from, where I started talking about, hey, church, God's moving me and Jessica. Brian came up to me. I had no idea what, who he was. I had no idea. I knew nothing about him. And he and his wife, Tammy, came up to me and said, God told me to help you do this church. And I said, awesome. Careful what you say, because I might actually take you up on it. I have reminded him of that conversation a couple of times over the last few years. But Brian is a superintendent right here at Northland Christian School. And then on your right is Andy Galloway, the owner-operator of Chick-fil-A Berry Road. He and his wife, Amy, uh, they were here either on day one or day two of Discover Church. I'm not exactly sure which day they came, but they were here almost from the beginning. This is our board. So, so when I tell you I'm talking about the board, I brought it to the board. Listen, they challenged the vision. They asked questions. 
They spoke to things that resonated with them. They encouraged me in some things. And I took all of that back in prayer and I brought it back to the staff. I brought it back to the board. And what I'm presenting to you in this never settle vision is not journ, thus says journ, decreed, stamped and settled. All y'all don't ask questions about it. Just shut up and do it. That's not what this is. What I'm presenting to you is a year's worth of prayer and confiding in one another and, and challenging what's going on. And I'm presenting to you something that, that the staff and the board unanimously are in agreement. This is God's next step for our church. So it's important to me that you understand how the process goes because I want you to see what it looks like. And when I tell you that I'm more concerned that we have 100% engagement than I am about us necessarily hitting $3 million. I just believe that if, if, if we engage, then God will provide the rest and it'll be history. I want you to open your, your guidebooks to page 26. I wanna, I wanna double down on this. I want you to see that I'm putting my money where my mouth is. On page 26 of your guidebook, you're gonna see something that says taking the next steps. And, and there's four questions there that we've asked you to prayerfully consider. And can I just tell you that if you spend time after listening to these messages and working through these questions, if you come to the conclusion, you know what? I just don't really know that this is the vision that I can support. Can I just tell you right now, I wanna be very clear, then I don't want you to give a penny to this Never Settle campaign. Because I'm not asking you to give. I'm asking you to pray. And I'm asking you to move as God leads you to move. I tell people this all the time. Every single person deserves to be a part of a church where you can trust the leadership, where you can connect to people and you can buy into the vision. And I, 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 I mean this, I hope this comes across well. I mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you're wrestling and struggling, you're praying about whether or not God wants you to be a part of this never settle vision and you get to the end of it and you just say, I don't know that I can be a part of that. Can I just say, I'd love to sit down and talk to you not to try to convince you to be a part of it, but because I believe you deserve to be a part of a church where you can understand and buy into the vision by committing your time, talent, and treasures to it. And I love you too much to try to get you to stay at a church that you don't agree with and you're not bought into the vision of where we're going. As lovingly as I can say it, the vision's not changing. And I want to help you find a church where you can, you can trust the leadership, you can connect with people, and you can see and hear the vision and go, I want to be a part of that. And what God is doing through the church of Kansas City across the board is so much bigger and so much more important than just what God is doing through Discover Church. So let me help you go find a church that you can be a part of and be a part of the vision that God's given them to reach people. But if you've prayed through it, you work through it and you go, okay, I feel like God's calling me to be a part of this. Then I just encourage you to flip over to the next page. And what you'll see there is, is, is kind of a stair step of, 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 we call it a generosity ladder. And, and basically it just identifies where different people might be when it comes to their generosity. And listen, can I just tell you this? As you look at these steps, wherever you find yourself is 100% Okay. There's no guilt connected to this. There's no shame connected to this. Here's what I believe. I believe that it is always true that God loves us so much that he will always meet us right where we are. 
but he loves us too much to let us stay there. And what I'm asking you to pray about, when you identify maybe where you are on this this stair step here, that you would just go to God and say, God, where would you have my next step to be? What might that look like? And whatever it is that God leads you to do, that's what I want you to do. If God leads you to not give and not be a part of this thing, then listen, I believe that that there's something stirring inside of you where God is moving you to a different church and that's okay, praise God for that. Get connected to a church where you can buy into the vision. That's a win for the kingdom of God. Now, when you came in, you were all given one of these or it was on your chair. I don't know how we handed them out today. I want you to, I want you to grab this and I want you to just, just kind of hold it. Don't, don't open it yet. I want you to just hold it for a second. I don't want to be overly dramatic and I realize that this might come across this way to some, but I believe it'll make sense after I explain it. I believe that what you're holding in your hands right now may very well be the most spiritually significant thing that you're going to hold in your hands this year. Let me tell you why. Because what you're holding is an answer to a prayer that I hope that you're praying. What you're holding is something that on March 20th, we're gonna invite everybody who's, who's in on this Never Settle campaign, never, this Never Settle vision, where, where we're gonna create a holy moment in this room where you by yourself or, or you and your family can come and, and bring this document and not lay it in front of a church, not place it in front of a pastor or a staff or a board, but that you would come and, and you, would, you would have spent days and weeks in prayer over God, what would you have me do? And contained on this would be your commitment. You see, there's something powerful that happens when we say something out loud. There's something more powerful that happens when we write it down. There's something more powerful still when we feel like God is leading us to take a step of faith. We write it down and then we bring it and place it before the Lord and let go of it and say, God, it's yours now. And so what we have in here is You'll see as you'll take this, all the things on page 26 and 27 of your guidebook is on the left side. We've given you a little worksheet that you can kind of navigate on the right side. As you think about taking your step, and here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to do on March 20th, I'm asking you to do two things. I'm asking you to fill all this out, including the step of faith at the top. What's the step of faith God's calling you to take in your generosity journey? You would go through whatever your process is and you would, you would put a number in the blank there and you'd put your, your info on it. Let me tell you why, because this is something that, that sometimes people bristle about. I don't want people knowing my stuff. Can I just tell you, here's the reason why, two reasons why, we, why we're asking you to put all of this information down. Number one, our administrative team is gonna take this and pull all the numbers and, and gonna help us develop a projection of, of what it is that we believe that we're committing to the Lord that we're asking God to do. But the second thing that they're gonna do is they're gonna create a document that's, that's got all the numbers stuff taken off of it, that's gonna have names 
and the step of faith that you've indicated and our staff is, and our board is gonna commit to prayer, praying for you because I believe that every single time we take a step of faith that God is inviting us to a new place and it's scary, it's uncomfortable and I believe that it's in those places oftentimes where the devil of hell will show up and he will cause you to do what he's been doing since the beginning of time. Did God really say that? Can you really trust God with that? And we're gonna be praying, not because you've made a commitment to Discover Church, but because you have made a commitment to our God and our staff's responsibility is to cover you in prayer, is to encourage you, is to support you and to help fight the battles that you are going through on a regular basis by standing in the gap in prayer for you by name. This will help us do that. You say, well, what do I do if I don't know what to give? I prayed and I'm in then maybe turn over to the back and you'll see a little chart there. Maybe, maybe you would identify where you are, where your giving level is. And, and again, I'm not asking you to give, I'm asking you to pray. And you would look at that and say, God, would you, is it possible that you might be asking me if I'm here, you're asking me to take one step up? And if God's answer to that is no, then you do what God has led you to do. I'm gonna tell you what this looks like for Jessica and I, not, not in any way to, to brag or, or anything like that, but because I want you to know I'm never gonna ask you to do something that I've not already done. Jessica and I began praying months ago. God, what would you have us do? And we are at a place on the, on the giving ladder where several years ago, God led us to a place to be a sacrificial giver. Again, I'm not bragging about that. I'm just letting you know what God has done in us so that you can know I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not doing. And we began to pray about this. God, we're already giving sacrificially. What would it look like? And God led us to, to, to a decision that we're gonna increase our percentage of what we're giving. But then we're also gonna take a, a chunk that we've been setting aside for about 18 months, slowly building it so that we can surprise our kids with a trip to Disney at some point next year. And we believe that, that God is leading us to take a, a, a portion of that and contribute it to the Never Settle campaign. Again, I'm not bragging, I'm just letting you know how God is moving and how, how I, as, as the pastor, I'm trying to go first. It may not be, that may not be what God would lead you to do. I don't want you to do what I did. I want you to pray about it. I don't know what that's gonna mean for our trip and our family and all that stuff, but here's what I do know. I do know that the eternal return on investment will be significantly greater investing into this than it will be on taking a family vacation. Is it wrong to take a family vacation? No. Am I saying if you've got money set aside for a vacation, you need to give it to this? No, I'm not. I'm just asking you to pray about it. That's what Jessica and I did. And this is where God has led us. And so on March 20th, we're gonna come and we're gonna bring our commitment card and we're gonna create something where you can bring it and you can submit it to the Lord. And then on April 10th, we call it Celebration Sunday. Really think of April 10th as day one. On April 10th is when Jessica and I are gonna make the adjustments and the changes to our current giving to start the new giving as we move forward. And church, all I'm asking you to do is would you be willing to pray and ask God, God, what would you have me do? A never settled believer is one who's willing to take their resources and put them into play for the kingdom of God.
And if you don't believe that you can trust the leadership here, connect with people or buy into this vision, then let me help you get to a place that you can. Why? Because God wants for you to be a steward. He wants for you to be shrewd with your time, talent, and treasure, your resources, because God wants for you to experience the remarkable and incredible joy of seeing people move from death to life and to be able to say, thank you, God, that I was able to play a small part and their new faith in you. At Discover Church, we exist to see our city changed by Jesus, one life at a time. If you'd like to take your next step of faith today, text the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. Again, that's the word FAITH to 816-203-1835. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to connect. Reach out to us on social media and let us know that you've found us through the Discover Church podcast. Thanks for listening.